Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Come and grab a seat. Let's get started. If you've got a Bible, could you go to Joshua chapter 12? Joshua chapter 12. We'll be going there in just a moment. And continuing our series in the book of Joshua. But before we do that, I want to talk to you a little bit about myself, which I enjoy as a subject. Now, I don't know if, uh, what you're like in your house, um, in your home, but if there are things that you have done that you've achieved and you th- you're quite proud of, do you like to let people know about it? Do you like to kind of display that to others? And I brought some of my things here just to tell you a bit about how pretty awesome I am, actually. Um, so I don't know if you know about me, but I like to run. That's one of the things I do. I run. And when you do a race or get involved in an event, at the end of the event, they usually give you a medal. And I've got some of my medals here. I just want to show you about uh, some of my victories I've achieved. This is the, um, the fun run. I mentioned the fun run. This is the medal I got when I first did the fun run, which I'm really proud of it because I was more surprised than anyone that I finished. And when you go across the finishing line, you get a medal. There's these people giving out medals. And so this was my medal that I got when I first ran the fun run. Um, And I managed to do 8.5 miles running in one go, which was just for me like an incredible shock. I couldn't believe I managed to make it all round and then survive the aftermath of it, which I managed to do. So I was really pleased by that. Then after that, a couple of years later, I ran my first ever half marathon. I wasn't quite up to a marathon, but I ran a half one. And this is the medal I got for finishing the Birmingham and Black Country Half Marathon, just local to here, running down the Canal Pass from Wolverhampton right into the middle of the city centre. So I did that. So I was really proud of my achievement there with that. Um, Then I did another one. Now, this was another half marathon I did, uh, but this was an off-road one. This one was called the Shindig in the Shire, where we went to Shropshire in the wilds of Shropshire. I got dropped off and I had to run up hills and down. And I was so chuffed with this one that I did it because it was up and down, but I came in the top 10. Just saying, yeah, exactly. I was just like, wow. Plus they gave you a super bling medal when you finished. Now, then there's another one. I did this one with my friend Ben, and this was one they called the X series, because this was like for hardcore people up in the Peak District. And this one they lied to us about how far it was. Because they said it was a distance, and we turned up at the start, and they said, due to weather, inclement weather, um, we had to change the route. And when you're at the start line, and you're like, they're changing the route. They said, don't worry, it's signed. And you're like, hmm? And they ended up end- adding a couple of miles to the route. And plus the like 1,500 meters of elevation, you had to go up and down to do it. That was like, again, by the time I finished that, I was just like, I can't believe we made it round, but we did. So I did that. Very proud of that one as well. Then finally, I've got another one here, which is my um, one I did just a while back. Sorry, I've got mucked up here with my microphone. Hadn't thought this through, but I am going to wear it. There you go. This one, this one I did a couple of weeks ago. This one is called The Icing on the Cake, which was another half marathon, so it wasn't particularly long per se, but at the same time, I didn't know why they called it The Icing on the Cake until I turned up and the race director said, you know what, we're going to be running over Longmind, um, uh, the big hill, and they said, there is icing on the cake. What does that mean? Until I got to the top and found snow and ice on the cake as we ran over the top of this hill. And we managed to finish that one. So very proud of that. So there's my, kind of, some of my running achievements there. Now added to that, I don't know if you're aware, but I'm also, um, I've been training in karate for a number of years now. And um, I have my black belt. So well, that was, come on, that's a bigger whoop, black belt. Come on. So let's just put that. So I've got this as well. So every time I train... 
with my students I teach, but also with the other instructors. I get to turn up and I get to wear this as part of my kind of uniform to show what I've achieved. So again, very proud of that. I'd like to drop that in conversations. Also, what I've got here are some other bits and pieces as well. Now, one of my other passions is American football. And I love American football, I love watching it, I used to play it, and I'm also now involved in a fantasy league. I'm one of those guys. Uh, and I've been involved in this fantasy league for years and years. A guy I met through, his, I worked with his sister when I was a teacher, and, and she connected me up with him, and we've been mates ever since. And he runs a fantasy league, and he gets very into it, so we have updates. And we also have trophies at the end, and here are my trophies, because I won the fantasy league in our 15th year, and this is my trophy, my victory trophy, again, which goes on the shelf at home. And I also won it another time. This is my other trophy. It's a slightly smaller one. It comes on a little thing that I couldn't find. And so these are my trophies. I've got numerous other ones for winning divisions, but these are the overall winners. So these are kind of my, these are my victory trophies for winning my fancy football league. And so I have many symbols of victory around my house where I've won things or I've achieved things. And it's just impressive. It's just great to, to, to be reminded of what you've achieved in life. And what we're going to look today when we get to Joshua chapter 12 is some more of those things from the position of what God has done in the life of Israel. So if you've got your um, Bibles, can you go to Joshua chapter 12? We're going to have it on here. I'm going to shed myself because these are going to get annoying after a while. And see if you can find Joshua 12 and I will read it to you. Okay, here we go. Well, I better take my belt off as well. Dying of verse 1, it says, Now these are the kings of the land whom the people of Israel defeated and took possession of their land beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise. From the valley of Arnon to Mount Hermon and all the Arabah eastward. Shihon, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon and ruled, for, ruled from Arair, which is at the edge of the valley of Arnon. And from the middle of the valley as far as the river of Jabbok, the boundary of the Amorites, that is half of Gilead and the Arabah to the Sea of Chinneroth, eastward, and in the direction of Beth-Jeshimoth to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, southward to the foot of the slopes of Pishgar. Can you put the next slide up, Matt? And Og, king of Bashan, one of the remnant of the Rephaim, who lived at Ashtaroth and Edri and ruled over Mount Hermon and Salikar, and all Bashan to the boundary of the Gershites and the Mathkites, and over half of Gilead to the boundary of Shion, king of Eshbon, Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the people of Israel defeated them. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave their land for a possession to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. All right, we're going to look at this first section here, which is Moses' victory over um, uh, his enemies. So the victory under Moses. Now, what we've reached here at chapter 12, thinking back about the whole book of Joshua, is we've reached the end of the second section. Chapters 1 to 5 were the first section, the preparation for entering the land. Chapters 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 are the end of the warfare stage, where they're actually taking the land that God had promised to Abraham all their years before. And what we've reached now in chapter 12 is kind of a summary of what has gone before. The big idea for the day is Jesus has total victory over all his enemies. He wears all the medals and has all the trophies. So Jesus has total victory over his enemies. And chapter 12 serves as a little bit of an appendix. 
It's kind of just summing up what's gone before. And you've got the first couple of verses which you've read there, which are a summing up of what happened under Moses. And then the next section we're going to read, which finishes off the chapter, is summing up what happened under Joshua, who took over leadership after Moses. So we've got two sections of it. And the first section, which is Moses' section, actually predates the book of Joshua. If you're reading that and thinking, I've been following along in Joshua, I've been reading at home and I don't recognize that, that's because it happened before Joshua even began, even the book began. Because the people of God were led out of Egypt under Moses, who was their leader, and that's detailed in the book of Exodus. And then you read uh, num- uh, Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, which come after that. It details their wanderings in the wilderness, the law, a whole bunch of other things before we get to the book of Joshua, which we're in now, which is them entering the promised land. And so what the author is doing is just looking back further and saying, let me sum up to you what has happened so far in God fulfilling his promises to the people of Israel. And so we've got the victory under Moses. This takes place east of the Jordan River. Remember in... um, Book of Joshua, there's a big moment when they crossed the Jordan. There was a bunch of activity that happened the other side of the river. And what happened was, it's detailed in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, Israel were on the move. They were heading to the promised land, which God had promised Abraham hundreds of years beforehand. And they wanted to, to get there, they had to travel through some territory. And it belonged to these two kings, Shion and Og. And they basically said to them, can we go through your territory and we're going to use the main road? There was a road through the territory. So if we go on the main road, we're not going to eat anything from your fields and we're not even going to drink from your wells. We, just, we won't take anything from you. We just need to travel through your territory to get to the other side, which was the land that God had promised them. And they sent kind of envoys to them and said, can we please do that? The response of the kings was not only no you can't do that was actually we're going to come and attack you and kill you anyway and so these forces of these kings came out against Israel and arrayed themselves and basically descended on them to attack and destroy the people of God you can imagine what happened the people of Israel had a great victory they destroyed their enemies those who set them up or set up against God's plans and purposes will ultimately be destroyed. And these kings found out that to their peril. They were destroyed. Their kingdoms were destroyed. Israel took the land for what they gained. And that land was then given to some of the tribes of Israel, three in particular. It was Reuben and Gad and then the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, if you're wondering why there's only a half-tribe, the reason is the tribes are named after the 12 sons of Jacob, who was then renamed Israel, and Reuben and Gad were two of those sons. He had another son called Joseph. And we looked at Joseph. We preached through that section of Genesis. Joseph, when he was down in Egypt, had two sons. And they were called Ephraim and Manasseh. And so we don't actually hear about the tribe of Joseph anymore. You tend to hear about the two tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. So they're basically half. Half of Joseph. So you still have the 12 tribes. But they're, they're basically two halves. So that's why you always get the half tribe of Manasseh or the half tribe of Ephraim. And those three tribes got their inheritance on the other side of the Jordan. And what we have there is we have a description of the boundary of their lands. So there's a summing up that this is what God has done. God has given them the land and all those funny words I try and say, you know, places. And it's basically a geographical outline describing this was their land. You've got the Jordan River on one side. And then this line, and there's a northern territory here, and there's the southern limit here. And this land that used to belong to these kings who were opposed to God, they are now gone. 
and God's people got to inherit the land. And their, their, their territories are and their kingdoms are no more. And it details their capital cities in Heshbon and Ashtaroth and Edri. They're now been taken over. And actually it's people, um, the people of God have it. And if we look at the end of that section, it describes Moses who was leading God's people at the time. And he was the one who, who kind of had the responsibility before God. But he's described tw- uh, in one way two times. If you look in that final verse 6, how is Moses described? He's described as Moses, the servant of the Lord. And it says it twice, actually, in that verse. And the idea there is to emphasize, to remind the people as they're reading, actually, ultimately, this isn't about Moses. It's not about Israel per se. It's about the Lord. It's about God. God is the one who's doing this. God is the one who's given them those land. God is the one who's given them victory over their enemies. It's not about that they were special or better than anyone else or smarter or more technologically advanced. We actually saw a couple of weeks back they weren't technologically advanced. They were inferior to some of their enemies. They had better weapons and better, you know, the chariots and all that kind of thing. No, but God is the one who brings victory. God is the one who gave them the land. God is the one who gave them their inheritance. It cannot be attributed to them or their cunning or skill. And then we look at the second section, which brings us more up to date into the book of Joshua. And bear with me on this one. There are a lot of names. Okay, I'm just saying. Here we go. Ready? And these are the kings of the land whom Joshua and the people of Israel defeated on the west side of the Jordan. From Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon to Mount Halak that rises towards Seir. And Joshua gave their land to the tribes of Israel as possession according to their allotments. In the hill country, in the lowland, in the Arabah, in the slopes, in the wilderness, and in the Negeb, And the land of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The king of Jericho won, the king of Ai, which is beside Bethel, won, the king of Jerusalem won, the king of Hebron won, the king of Jarmuth won, the king of Lachish won, the king of Eglon won, the king of Giza won, the king of Debir won, the king of Gedar won, the king of Hormar won, the king of Arad won, the king of Libna won, the king of Adullam won, the king of Makedar won. The king of Bethel won, the king of Tapua won, the king of Hephar won, the king of Aphak won, the king of Lasheron won, the king of Madon won, the king of Hazor won, the king of Shimron Meron won, the king of Aksaf won, the king of Tarnak won, the king of Megiddo won, the king of Kadesh won, the king of Jokiniam in Carmel won, the king of Dor in Naphath Dor won, the king of Goyim in Galilee won, the king of Tizar won, all in all 31 kings. Thank you. <laughs> I probably pronounced most of those wrong, but when you do it confidently enough and you have a microphone, everyone thinks, oh, yeah, he knows what he's talking about. No, no. All right. So this one now, this is the victory under Joshua. So this is stuff we should be familiar with. This is from the book of Joshua. So we had that kind of looking further back. This is what happened on that side of the Jordan. They've now moved across the Jordan River. We saw that big event crossing the river. God parted it. The whole nation kind of went across. And then the river closed up behind them. And now this is on the other side of the river. And it reviews the conquest of the people. Verses 7 8, those first two ones are basically like a geographical overview, again, of describing the land that had been taken. And verses 9 down to 24, the end of it, is effectively a list of the defeated kings 
of the area who had come up against God's people. Now, verse 7 gives the northern limits of the territory there with um, Balgad and the Valley of Lebanon and Mount Halak. And then um, it gives the southern uh, limits of the territory as well, looking at it. And then it lists the people who had been defeated. It says six areas and six people. There were six areas, which are the hill country, lowland, Arabah, the slopes, the wilderness, and the Negev. And between them, basically, that covers the entire land. That's just basically shorthand of saying everywhere God had won the victory in all these places. Then it lists six peoples. Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites were the six people who dwelt in those lands who had set themselves up against God, and God had defeated them as well. So they had been completely taken out. And the list there emphasizes total completeness of victory. It's basically there where it's saying, Everywhere We went every place and we defeated every enemy that had set himself up against God. God had won complete and total victory. There was no one and nothing that stood against him. No one could stand. God had won victory. And it was summing up what we've read in the last 11 chapters of Joshua. And then you got this list of kings who were defeated. And what it reminded me of was, has anyone here been to Paris? And... There are lots of sights and things to see in Paris. And one of the ones, the most significant one you see, is the Arc de Triomphe, which sits at the ends of the Champs-Élysées, um, big road in Paris, and you have the, the Arc, and it's in the kind of middle of a roundabout with all these roads coming off and off. You see pictures of it when there are pictures of Paris. And if you've ever been to the Arc de Triomphe, I remember going when I was young at school on like a field trip. We went across there. We stayed in Paris, and we went to the sites. We went to the Arc de Triomphe. And it's basically a memorial of the victories that were won by the French army. It was modeled on the uh, arch in Rome, the arch, the arch of Titus, which obviously someone had seen and thought we should have one of those in Paris. And, just, and, and inside it, you can see these just, there, there are plaques carved in that are basically these are the victories won by the French army under Napoleon and just as a memorial to celebrate, aren't we epic, aren't we awesome? You know, we won all those things. Waterloo's not in there, I just want to say that. Um, but that's what it's there for. It's there to proclaim victory. And what we've got here in the book um, of Joshua in chapter 12 is that same idea where they're basically listing all the ones who are defeated as a reminder of what God has done, what he has achieved. He has destroyed all his enemies. No one can stand against him. No opposition is powerful enough to come up against God. And there are um, a bunch um, that we have, if you go through that list and you look back in the book of Joshua, about half of them have already been named. Jericho is in there and and other places that we've actually come across in the story. And there are a bunch of others that we don't know that have just kind of been glossed over and actually when they took the land. But here is a list for posterity for the people of God to know that God has given them the land just as he had promised he would. And if you go through the list, it roughly works out in geographical terms. It kind of starts at the south. The names listed first are from the south. And then the, the second set of names are sort of in the middle of the country. And the final list of names are all from the northern territory of the land that was taken. And what we have now, basically, this section of the book ends. And effectively, the author's now set up for what's coming next because the victory is now complete. They have taken the land that God has given to them. But actually, what's going to happen next is the land is now going to be divided up as an inheritance to the people. So what we're going to do next time 
when we come together. Just so you're aware, who's read ahead in Joshua? Who's actually been reading the book of Joshua? You know what's coming. Chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19, I think, six chapters, are basically lists of inheritance for the people of God. Just so you're aware, I'm going to hit all six chapters next week. You might want to read ahead. You might want to come just to see how I handle handling six chapters in one sermon. That's basically just a list of places. But that's what we're going to look at next week. So the stage is set. God has prepared his people. He's now taken them into the land. He has won complete victory over the enemies. And then what's coming next is the people are now going to receive the inheritance that was promised back to Abraham. And they're physically going to get the land. You can now settle. You have a home. They've been in captivity in Egypt. They've been wandering in the wilderness They've just been nomads, and now they're finally going to settle God's people, and we're going to have a little look at that next time, so come ready for that. If you want to read ahead, it might be good just to, so you're familiar with it, because we'll fly through it. I'm not going to sit and read six chapters, because I'll lose the will to live before you will. But what I want to do now is just to apply this, build this down to us. So God's won complete victory. But actually, the people played their part, and the people shared in God's victory. And I want to just remind us of some of the things we've learned about how the people did that and then how that applies to us. So how did victory come about for God's people? Because God's the one who did it, but played their part. And I've got three things for us to finish on today. The first one is to pursue God's presence. Pursue God's presence. God was with his people from the beginning. If we go back to the great big story of the Bible... Where does it begin? It begins in the garden. And God makes Adam and Eve, and he is with them in the garden. They are there. They are, he is their God. They are his people. They're there together. It all goes wrong. Genesis chapter 3, sin, the fall. They're removed from God's presence. But then as the story unfolds, God keeps coming back to people and wanting to make, um, be with them, restore what was broken. And we move the story forward. We find the story of Abraham which kind of begins what we're looking at here, where God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a mighty nation, which we're now reading about. I'm going to give you a land that is going to be yours. It's going to be for your people in the future. And then this, the, 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 the promise given uh, to God goes through um, Abraham and then his son Isaac and then Jacob, then on to the 12 sons and on to the people of Israel. But God has always come to his people And he has been with them, and he appeared to Isaac, and he appeared to Jacob. And then even at the beginning of the Exodus narrative, who did he appear to? He appeared to Moses in the burning bush, and then he appeared to the people in fire and smoke. And he said, I will be with you always. Even in the text we've read today, Moses described as servant of the Lord. One of the things that characterized Moses, he was described as a friend of God. He was someone who went to the presence of God. God dwelt with him. He knew what that was. He pursued. He went up the mountain to receive the law. He was someone who went after the presence of God. And then we get Joshua who took over from Moses when Moses died. You're now going to lead the people, Joshua. And what did God say to him? I will be with you. Don't be afraid. I'm going to be here. And that, that, that refrain comes up again, again, again in the book. I'm going to be with you. And if we push the story forward, after um, the people settle in the land, they have the tabernacle, the tent, which the presence of God dwells in, dwell in the camp, dwells in the land, and they build a temple where the presence of God dwells in, and people would go there to meet with the presence of God. 
and they were to come after that. And then we fast forward the story um, to the New Testament and Jesus appears on the screen. What's one of the names that's given to Jesus? Emmanuel, which means God with us. God has come to be with us and he is there and people flocked to him and people pursued him and they followed him. He said to his disciples, follow me. And there are many who didn't, but there are many who did. And they pursued him. They went after him. They were always with him. He lived that perfect life. He died on the cross. He was then raised by the power of the Spirit. And what did he say to his followers? He says, you go to Jerusalem and you wait. What are you going to wait for? The Holy Spirit. My presence will come and be with you forever. And he even said before he went, it's better that I go away. And can you imagine that? We've got Jesus There's nothing that can be better than you being around. He says, no, I need to go so the Spirit can come and I will be with you all, always. The Spirit falls on Pentecost in the church. The church explodes in growth and has been growing ever since. And we read forward in the New Testament and we find that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are the people of the presence of God. That's what makes us different from any other group people on the planet. We have God's presence with us. We're not necessarily nicer than anyone else, smarter than anyone else, more gifted than anyone else, but we have God with us, which is what marks us as different. And we can live in the light of God's victory for us because we, um, we are in him. But we are also called to pursue that. We're also called to run after that. We're also called to follow that closely. That's what God said to Joshua. You follow my law. Keep my commands. Be strong, courageous. Don't veer to the left. Don't veer to the right. Come after me and what I've said. And we're to be people who pursue God's presence. If you want to experience God's victory, what it means for Christ to be ruling around in life, you need to be people who go after the presence of God. Who go after it in every aspect, in our own personal life, in our corporate life as a church. We can't just put it on the side and think, I'm a Christian. I'll tick that off my list. I'm done. I've got my bags on the glory train. I can now go and do life the way I want to live. No, we're told to pursue God's presence. We're told to go after it. And we have a responsibility as believers, as a church, to go after that together. You've got it as an individual. What do you do? Is a question for you. What do you do to pursue the presence of God in your life today? What do you do? Not what your, your friend does or your spouse does. What do you do to pursue God's presence on a daily basis? Are you pursuing it in prayer and saying, God, fill me with your spirit that I may be transformed in your life, that I may experience your power in me, that as I go out into the world, I am a light shining for your glory. I'm seeing your kingdom advance. Am I pursuing opportunities that come my way to demonstrate that kingdom? If you weren't here last week, uh, Melanie spoke particularly about this. Um, apologies, we haven't put it up on the, the web yet. There was a technical difficulty. We've got the sermon out. It will go up today, so you can catch up with that if you haven't done that. But please listen to that, to actually what it means to be men and women full of the Spirit. Are you worshipping on your own? Do you regularly take time just to worship, to sing songs of praise? Nothing kind of pulls the presence of God like worship and praise and giving honor to His name. We, um, every so often, buy a new CD put it in the car so we can listen to it, play it at home, and the kids learn it, they're singing the songs. We've just started listening to this one. If you like this, it's called The Rend Collective. It's called Good News. Um, It's a fantastic one. I know they're going to sing one of the songs out in kids' work, but this has been on in the car, going away. The kids have picked up some of the songs already. They always tell me, Dad, we want number three, we want number seven, we want number nine. I'm like, all right. 
So we have to play those in order. I don't know what happened to one and two and four, but they're obviously not quite up to snuff, and I haven't even heard them to know, but they're ones they like. So you play the songs and you worship and do that. What about us as a corporate body? When you come here on a Sunday, do you drag yourself in kind of the last minute? Well, we know they don't actually start at half past because the counter goes on, so I don't have to bother getting here. And I definitely want to have a drink. And then when the music starts, I might think about entering the room. If I can be bothered, I've finished my whatever refreshment we've put out for you. Or do you come with that act and say, I'm in the room, I'm on here, front foot. When are the band going to start? We want to worship, we want to praise, we want to push into God's presence. I want to get my kids, I want to engage them so they can sing and dance, so they know the words of the song. Do you have that? Have you got that front foot attitude? We need to honor the band who've been here for ages before us getting ready and say, come on guys, we're with you, we want to praise, we want to worship. Are you pushing into that life group? When you go to your life group, you're making a priority of that. Because every life group finishes with a time of worship and prayer, where we get together and we get to engage with God. I was at my life group this uh, Tuesday. We had a fantastic time just at the end, and we were just praying. We shared some stuff kind of over dinner, and we're chatting afterwards about the sermon that Mel had preached, and, blah, 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 and then how are we going, things, and something. There's a lot of things came up in people's lives. We need to pray into that. We need to pray for that. So we had some time. We put some music on, and we engaged with God, and it was fantastic. Just praying and praying for people, and then afterwards on the WhatsApp group, we kind of heard that, you know, some positive answers to prayer. It was just a moment to engage with God, and so my challenge is you. What are you doing to pursue the presence of God? Are you prioritizing in your life? Is it something that's important to you? Is it something, well, I'll fit it in when I can, or is it something that actually comes up top in my life? How am I doing with my life? How am I doing with my kids? If you're a parent, your responsibility for children... How are you pursuing the presence of God? Because what we see from the story is those who pursue the presence of God experience the victory of God and saw God do incredible, miraculous things. Number two, so we pursue the presence of God. The second one, we stand on God's promises. This whole book of Joshua is based on the promise God gave to Abraham way back in Genesis I think in terms of time, it's something like over 400 years, maybe 450 years have passed since that promise had been given to Abraham and his son and his son and his son and so on and then to the people of God. But what it meant for them to go into the land was to stand on those promises. And the question for the people of God was, were they willing to believe it? Were they willing to stand it? Were they willing to trust in it and have faith in it? Because if you know the story from before the beginning of Joshua... They didn't go quite so well because they got to the border of the promised land under Moses and they were in the same place we found in the book of Joshua and it says, Moses, right, let's go and just send out some people to have a look around just to you know, scout out the land so we know what we're getting ourselves in for. They sent out 12 spies. The 12 spies came back having looked at the land and said, the land is amazing. You know, it's flying with milk and holly. It's just a wonderful place. God has given them the best place. But then the 10 spies says, we can never take it because... The enemy are so big, they're so strong, they're so much, we just can't defeat them. And the people believed the report of the ten spies and they didn't stand on God's promise. The said, I've given you the land. Two of the spies said, yes, we can take them. Yes, they're big, but God's bigger. God's tougher, God's stronger. And he's promised it to us. We need to go and fight them. Do anyone know the name of the two spies? One of them was called Joshua. <laughs> the other one's called Caleb. We'll meet him in chapter 14. We'll come back to him. 
And they got to stood on God's promises and then they got to inherit what God had for them. The other ten and those of the generation believed it. They never made it to the promised land. They said they died in the wilderness. So God said, if you don't believe me, fine. You can stay in the wilderness. And they all died out and a new generation was raised up that then got to take the promised land. And that was the promise. And if we go through the, the book of um, the Bible as a whole, there was a promise. God just promised land. But there was a greater promise that was coming, the promise of a savior, who would, someone who would one day come and save their people from the ultimate enemy, not just physical earthly enemies who may come and defeat them in battle. No, 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 there's a greater enemy, sin and death and hell that's coming. But actually there is one who will come and save us from that. And Jesus came around to bring about the ultimate victory. He triumphed over sin and death. He lived this perfect life that we couldn't live. He died the death we should have died. He rose from the grave victorious. Triumph over his enemies. It says they're under his feet just as God had promised. We read about that in the Old Testament. You go and look at the prophecies. Isaiah 53, you read them and think, that's talking about Jesus and you see the fulfillment in Christ. And just like Joshua 12, Jesus has won the victory. And if we were going to write a list of things Jesus had victory over, like we find in Joshua chapter 12, it might look like this. Jesus won the victory over sickness and disease because he healed all who came to him. Jesus won the victory over temptation. Because despite 40 days in the wilderness with the enemy, the enemy couldn't get victory over him. He won the victory over pain and suffering and what he suffered on his road to the cross. He won the victory over rejection and relationship breakdown when everybody deserted him and he still stayed true to what God had called him to. He won the victory over death and hell with his death on the cross. When he rose victorious from the death, he won the victory over sin and the devil and demonic forces and all the powers of the evil one. He won the victory over the world. Powers of religious authority and government set themselves up against him to destroy him. And eventually they were found out to be futile in their efforts. And as a result of his great victory, he's given us promises for us to live on that we can stand on. And these are promises for us as believers, as followers of Jesus. It says this in Hebrews. He says, I will be with you always. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Whatever you're facing, whatever's happening in your life now, you can know that God is with you. It might be tough. It might be overwhelming. But he has promised to be with you. Do you believe that? Are you standing on that? That actually no matter what comes, God is with me. No matter who falls away from me on an earthly level, God is with me. God said he would lead us and guide us. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Promise. If you're one of God's sheep, you will hear the voice of God. You will hear the voice of your Savior who is leading you and guiding you and walking you through whatever the situation is. And do not fear that you'll miss it. You will follow because God will call you. Jesus promised to give us peace. He said, cast your burdens onto me. Because I care for you. Apostle Paul writes that actually, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what you're facing, 
how overwhelming that could be. You might think yours is as big as someone else's or smaller than someone else's. God can give you peace in the most horrendous circumstances. And that's a promise to stand on. What about if you're facing temptations and trials? God has very clearly promised, says that actually it says in Corinthians, that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. But God will provide a way out, whatever you're facing. That is the grace of God to you. You cannot face a temptation and a situation to do anything without him providing a way out. That's something he has promised. So you might be up against it right now. Tempted in relationships, tempted sexually, tempted financially, tempted to betray someone, tempted to cheat at work, whatever it is, that there will be a way out. God promised to provide it. You are not alone. You're not up against it. You don't have to give in. You can stand on that promises. What about if you're facing opposition and people are saying lies and evil things about you? Jesus promises says that when you are facing those situations, he will give you words to speak. Words of courage, words of hope, words of boldness, words of truth into that situation. You might be in that where the, the, the stuff is coming at you relentlessly. What do I do? What do I say? Jesus said, I will give you words to speak in those situations. What about wisdom? I just don't know what to do. Do I go this way? Do I go that way? Do I accept this offer? Do I reject that offer? Do I pursue this? Do I not pursue this? What do I do? James, um, God has promised in James that if you need wisdom, what do you need to do? Just ask. And he says, I will give it to you. I will give you wisdom to make decisions. Trust in him. Pray, seek after God, and then trust that he will guide you and lead you. In the light of what God said in his word, godly counsel, but you make the decisions. God is with you. And so what are you facing right now? What does your world look like? What are the challenges you're up against them? God said to Joshua, you do not let that word of the Lord depart from you. Keep it right in front of you. Follow it. And so for us... You need to know what the Bible says. You need to be reading your Bible. You need to be understanding it. I hope you're kind of reading it daily like we've encouraged this year. I've just started Deuteronomy using the app, watching the videos. Fantastic stuff. I'm getting towards Joshua, which would be fun. We're studying Joshua and then start reading through Joshua. But also, if there are specific promises, write them down. Stick them somewhere. Memorize them. If you're feeling alone, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's Hebrews 13.5. It's quoted from Deuteronomy 31.5. So learn them. I learned that one because I've been through those times. I need some of these verses. I know the temptation one. Why? Because I've been through the temptations. I know the wisdom one. Why? Because there's times when I've needed wisdom. So I, I memorize the scripture and then I pray it. I go after it and say, God, give me wisdom to handle this. Handle you sometimes. You know, in a nice way. But whatever it is, write it down. Put it on your phone. Put it on your mirror where you clean your teeth. Get the word of God in you and stand on God's promises. Because that's what he asked the people of God to do. And that's how they achieve the victory. Last one. Trust in God's provision. Trust in God's provision. The story of the people of God once they left Egypt. They were out in the wilderness. They had nothing to eat. Nothing to drink. God provided, miraculously, the water out of the rock. We have the story of the manna, which came from heaven, which they had to collect, and they collected it every day, enough for that day, and it was an act of trust that God would then do it again. And on the, on the day before the Sabbath, they had to collect twice as much, so they had enough for that day and the next day. went on for 40 years. God provided. Then we get the quail. God provided they wanted meat. 
manna was enough. They wanted meat, so he provided meat. He did that as well. Their clothes never wore out the whole time in the wilderness. Forty years, they never wore out their clothes. Provision. God provided for them. And then when they crossed uh, the river, Jordan, into the promised land, we saw that in Joshua. What did, what did it say happened? The manna and the quail stopped. No need in the prison. Why? Because they had the land. And the land provided. The land was their provision. God had been with them. God had never left them with what they didn't need. Even when they came up against opposition. We need victory. How do we defeat this enemy? There's a great walled city in front of us called Jericho. They're mighty and strong. What do we do? God says, don't worry. I got this. I'll provide a way out. Down come the walls. In you go. Victory after victory, God provided whatever they need. Whatever their needs were, God provided. And the reality for us is we need to trust in God's provision. God will provide for your needs. However, we live in Western middle class land. And I just need to caveat this. They don't always come the way you expect. They don't always come the way you want. Sometimes, most of the time, you have to wait. And what you think your needs are, God may disagree. Just need to put that out there. God will provide, but you have to make sure that you've got that in understanding. Because what we think we need, sometimes we don't. But God is good and he is gracious. And he will provide. So whatever you're facing right now, God will give you the resources you need to get through that. That might be financial. It might be a provision for a job. It might be healing. It might be just strength to get through it. It might be a friend to come alongside. Whatever it is, God will provide what you need and we have to trust him in that. We have to wait on it. We have to pursue it. We have to bear in mind we're going after his presence. We're standing on his promises. But God will provide what they need just like he did for the people of Israel. It took a while for them, didn't it? 400 plus years. You might not have to wait that long. But if it gets that long, it will become irrelevant. You're in heaven. It's fine. Everything will be moved on by then. But You've got to trust God for his provisions. And when we are, we need to be thankful for it. We need to be people who are thankful for whatever God's provided. It's another great thing in life because you just get the opportunity to thank God publicly in front of people of all the things he's done in your life and all the things that happen, all the answers to prayer and the way he's moved. It's just a wonderful environment. We need to celebrate it. I could put my medals back on. We need to remember it when God provides for you. Tell people Don't just keep it to yourself. Tell your life group members. Tell people God has broken in. God answered this prayer. Let's celebrate it. We should be the most thankful people ever for all that God has done for us. Even if he does nothing more for you for the rest of your life, he's done enough. Because he saved you. And he gave you Jesus and filled you with his spirit. And so that's, I think we should end there. Should we celebrate? You're going to stand up. We're going to sing. Can the band come back? I'll move all my paraphernalia. I'm just going to pray. Do you want to close your eyes? And what I want you to do, just while we're sort of in this moment, I want you to run through things in your head, just like Joshua chapter 12, of those victories that God had won. What has God done in your life? What are the victories he's won? What are the things he's done for you? What are the provisions he's given you? What are the moments we broke in when you thought all else is lost and then God showed up? What are those things? What can you list that actually 
if I was doing my own little list of the things that God has done in my life that I can thank him for and celebrate him for, I would list these things. Relationships, moments in my life, healings I've received, grace to endure trials, the way he turned a situation around and looked horrific and now look at it what is now. Whatever it is, just list them in your head. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your great victory. I want to thank you for your ultimate victory over sin and death and pain and suffering and the power of the enemy and the the, the powers of this world. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that we get to celebrate that and be part of that. Lord Jesus, we thank you that because we are in you, we share in your victory. God, that is just incredible. And Lord God, as we pray now, God, we ask you, you cause us our faith to rise. Would you fill us with your spirit that we would know that you're with us? Would you give us eyes of faith to see what you're doing? Would you give us grace to believe and trust in your promises over circumstances that come against us? That seem to kind of almost be contrary to what you're doing, Lord. Forgive us when we're weak and we fail. Lord, lift us up. Lift our heads now that we may put our eyes on you, trust in you, follow you, Lord, knowing that you will provide what we need. You have got promises that we can stand on and your presence is always with us. Lord Jesus, we praise you and we love you. And God's people said, Resurrection. Mm-hmm.